Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes. completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started steve is the chairman at upcloud and a chief revenue officer at cye earlier steve has had successful stints at amazon aws and with cisco in the interview steve shares how traveling around the world as a child has shaped him into a curious and open person he also spoke about the challenges of working with people from different cultures and how he has learned to compromise and look for win-win solutions and yet at the same time without compromising his own foundational set of values hi steve welcome to the choosing leadership podcast sumit great to see you and thanks very much for having me it's uh, wonderful to have you here with us today and for our listeners can you begin with sharing a small introduction about yourself who you are and what do you do yeah i'm steve mitchley i'm the chief revenue officer of sai which is an israeli cybersecurity business uh we're busy in the process of globalizing um and have been for let's say the last year or so and in addition to that i'm the chairman of upcloud which is a business based out of finland in the cloud space but also for fully uh, globalized now um I've been part of that journey over the last 2 to 3 years approximately yeah thank you and can you share a bit more of your backstory of your background what led you to where you are today <laughs> it's a long story yeah maybe take out uh, two or three key events or incidents uh, which you can remember very vividly or which have shaped you as a person yeah yeah i look good for 75 i'm just not 75 <laughs> I was brought up in the UK um you know started schooling there and my father was a merchant banker he took us around the world so blessed to live in places like Taiwan and Europe and all over the world and then um ended up in South Africa in my secondary schooling and did military service there and then rather like my roots I started my own global career as you know and I was blessed to work on every literally every continent of the world in 
um, some extremely dynamic businesses. Uh, and it was wonderful. I, I wouldn't change it for the world. A lot of personal sacrifice, though, of course. Um, I guess I started my career in banking in the dealing room of the bank. And a twist of fate took me into the IT industry. And I began working for Hewlett Packard. And at a point in my career, I suppose, you know, just picking up some, some key uh, moves, um, I joined Cisco System. I had an immense belief in uh, John Chambers' vision and the way he articulated the ethos of the business. And I took a significant step down from a general management position to become a seller, again, a salesperson, uh, because I really believed in the trajectory of the business. And it, it was a wonderful journey. I spent just over 14 years roughly with Cisco, was um, rated exceptional every year, except for one where I was ahead of expectations. And I was given the opportunity to travel the world, to work in Silicon Valley and Russia, Middle East and LATAM and uh, APAC and you know, do all manner of different business uh, engagements. Um, and then I was uh, blessed once again, uh, headhunted out of Singapore to build cloud into Europe for for Amazon Web Services, which, you know, <laughs> when I did it was a pretty risky move, if you can imagine. Um, I remember customers that I'd known for nearly 20 years looking at me and saying, yeah, we're not so sure about this one. You joined a bookseller. Are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> and you know, I fundamentally believed in the value proposition and it was hard. It was extremely difficult, literally pounding the pavements um, of Europe to get customer acceptance and work with regulators to get the right to play um, and build a team into Luxembourg. Most Europeans like to stay close to home. So that was also challenging, uh, but we built an incredible business. We scaled it initially extremely hard and then we got to a tipping point. And we had a different problem. We couldn't hire fast enough. And uh, it was a wonderful, very blessed experience. Um, and then I decided that I still wanted to continue building. The Amazon web services business had got to a certain size and scale um, where it became, let's say, quite a formal management role, which I'd done a lot of in Cisco. And I wanted to continue being entrepreneurial. And I took the conscious decision, you know, fortune had, favored me and I didn't have any debt in my life. And I said to my family, okay, we're going to take some really crazy risk now. And I stepped out into the private equity world, which is what I've done for the last five to six years. Also been a wonderful journey. I've learned volumes that I wouldn't have learned in my previous uh, environments. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've done ramp up, scale ups, mashups a business rescue of a very old business, global business. And it's been extremely compelling and exciting and, of course, very challenging. And so, yeah, that's, I suppose, what's brought me to where I am today. Thank you. Thank you. That's fascinating to hear. I'm quite curious, right, both in uh, what you shared about your upbringing and how you traveled the world, but also you how you have traveled the business world, right? You have gone from one place to another. How does that uh, upbringing or that childhood shapes you as a person, shapes your views on leadership management that allows you to take those big risks uh, as you have done so in your career? Um, look, I'm a straight shooter. I'm very, uh, you know, I believe authentic and transparent. And I was brought up with a very uh, curious and open mind. And my parents 
were in were that way in my family as well. So I guess it's the curiosity, but also the the ability to give and take that I was brought up with and compromise and um, not be fixed in your perspective of others. And agile, I suppose, is a good word. And so tolerant, perhaps, as well. And so for me, it was extremely exciting to experience these you know, all of these very diverse contexts, right? I did work in places like South Korea and uh, China and Russia and Latin and Middle East and all sorts of exciting dynamic places. And it wasn't always easy. And for sure, you're going to be um, misunderstood, <laughs> you know, and you seek first to understand and then be understood is something I learned quite quickly. I did get my head bashed a couple of times for sure. Mm. But ultimately, I think, if people understand that your intent is good and you are honest and transparent and authentic, you know, you can carry yourself through. But it can be extremely um, ambiguous, right? I can remember sitting in business uh, negotiations in Asia where I was doing business through a translator and interpreter, right? And that's extremely difficult. So you really have to... I suppose, develop a bit of a sixth sense and measure six times and cut once. That was something I learned very um, early on from a couple of hard uh, knocks, for sure. Yeah, thank you for sharing that about curiosity. I think that's uh, one of the things which uh, travel or like any global experience gives you. And that's a hugely powerful skill in when it comes to leadership. Uh, but one question which I have is, right, how do you deal or how do you navigate when you meet people or when you meet viewpoints which are not so flexible, right, which are rigid. And sometimes cultures can be can be rigid, right? So how have you navigated? Or if you can share one example or an incident which happened, that would be wonderful. Yeah, sure. You know, where it's gone well, obviously, I've always looked for the compromise and the, uh, you know, the ability to strike a win-win. And I think what you have to do is you have to understand um, what are the factors that you're prepared to concede on in order to create that balance in the relationship, that emotional bank account, so that you can in turn get what you want. But it doesn't always go well. And I can tell you that many times in my life, well, not many, but quite a few quite marked ones, um, there is a point where if I feel my values are being compromised, then it's a no-go area for me. And and then I disconnect on, you know, I'm just not prepared to compromise my value set. Um, and yes, you can, as I said earlier, there are times when you can be fundamentally misunderstood. There are many parts of the world that just work on perception, unfortunately, and don't always dig down into the facts. And, you know, that was a hard set of learnings that I've had in my career, and I'm sure many entrepreneurs have too. But yeah, I think that's the swing balance is the emotional bank account. But to the point that you don't compromise your core values. I think that's very important. Yeah. And uh, right, that also requires a very solid grounding to really know what you stand for, what your values are. But then also any leadership role has a lot of responsibility, has a lot of like uh, like KPIs associated with it, which you are responsible for. So how do you navigate that balance between standing your ground, knowing your values, at the same time, managing that pressure, if I may say, or overwhelm or expectations uh, from different people. And how do you manage that for yourself, first of all? Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, and a lot depends on how your stakeholders behave. And by your stakeholders, I mean your shareholders and your management of whatever form it takes. 
you always have some form of boss, right? Whether it's the bank or a line manager. But um, I think that also comes down to values. You have to be prepared to stand up for what you believe in. And unfortunately, I I was joking with someone this last week. I said, I've got the curse of being right a lot. Because a lot of the time, what I was trying to telegraph to stakeholders about the need for caution and the balance of IQ and EQ and passion and drive, there's a tipping point, right? And you you can collapse something if you aren't too careful. And, um, you know, there were two notable times in my own life where I decided to walk away because I could not uh, balance the ethical, sustainable fabric of what was being employed to what I was being driven under. Um, and that's hard, right? Because uh, you mentioned it, you know, leadership is extremely tough. Sometimes you have to stick to your principles and it might mean that you have to step out. <laughs> and that's not pleasant, right? But that comes with the territory. But once again, I always try and found things on the basis of fact, um, then complement that with observations. Um, and of course, you don't always have enough time to get all the data, right? So, you know, what you've got to try and do is get to that 80th or 90th percentile, um, formulate the core data set, and then put forward your hypothesis with alternatives. Of course, you have to have a receptive audience, right? And so sometimes in, in my career, I had stakeholders who just who didn't want to see the data, they didn't want to know anything other than going for what they had in their mind, which is in some respects also valid because many times um, your historical experience and what the data tell you can also be self-limiting. Hmm. So what I believe in is constant iteration. You have to sort of have your hypothesis and then you iterate and you evaluate and then you you bring that back in and you distill it and then you see, okay, where are we executing well and where have we got latent potential and where are we missing it all together? And you can carry on iterating and stacking that up towards the eventual vision. I love that because if you take an uh, experimentation approach towards life or towards future progress, then that makes it less heavy and then there are no, no failures, right? If you're experimenting, then uh, every experiment will reveal something and that allows you to iterate, as you said. Yeah, but unfortunately, the world um, generally, and I'm, this is a vague generalization, but the world generally being driven, let's say, in the last decade has not been one that, frankly, I, if I take a step back, I would say was particularly tolerant or medium-term thinking along enough, you know, and many short-term decisions, particularly in the last four years, I would say, many short-term decisions have been made with questionable sustainability, right? But in the context of self-limiting beliefs, it's funny, um, I recall the situation at Amazon where the team and I were dutifully building up everything on the data that was was available in the market at the time. And then we came to a certain sudden realization that actually the market data was 60% of what we were doing ourselves. So that fundamentally proved the thesis that sometimes the data can limit you, right? Um, so the market at that stage didn't know US's numbers because they weren't public. So that was a very valuable learning, right? Um, and I'd been formally schooled. Cisco was extremely professional, structured business, wonderful school. 
uh, and some incredible leaders that I learned from. But it was quite um, specific in the databases. And so we did have this notion of stretch goals and all the rest of it, of course. But um, that learning at AWS, it was quite an eye-opener. It was another sort of pivotal point. Thank you for sharing that. And now if we come back to the present moment, right, as you said about the last four years, and especially with, uh, with COVID and all the disruption in the supply chain, right, what is it that is next for you? What do you most deeply care about now that will lead you to the next phase of your life and your career? I've always been extremely hard on myself um, where I feel that I've messed up. It really, really bugs me for a long time and I work extremely hard on myself. I, I can have fun when there's time to be fun to be had, but I work, I work 16 to 18 hour days without exaggeration, maybe most of the days of the week and most of the days I'm working, at least Sundays, I work mornings oftentimes. Um, I'm blessed in a way that the dynamics of figuring out how to make a business work and thrive is, you know, it's quite therapeutic for me. Some people would say it's sad, I suppose, but <laughs> I enjoy it. And so that, that fuels my curiosity and my enjoyment. But through COVID, um, it was a very strange time. I mean, I got into business environments where literally I'd not met any of the people that I was working with and the environments that had been put together, literally eight to 10 uh, acquisitions that had been put together in this uh, virtual environment and it's chaos is extremely difficult. And now we're out of uh, COVID and I was sort of <laughs> thinking, oh, please, you know, now we can have a good 10 year run. And now we've got a liquidity crisis and all sorts of other trade crises mm -hmm. and things, um, inflation and interest rates and all sorts of challenges that have um, come after COVID. So you have to be extremely resolute and resourceful and make sure that you're managing your own energies uh, very carefully. To answer the other part of your question, I think I want to build a, again something sustainable um, and be able to step back from it with the team and go, wow, do you remember when we started out, we didn't even know where we were heading and look at what we've created together and the share stakeholder value that we've created and the impact on the industry uh, and hopefully good for business and good for the environment. In the medium to long term, I have a personal dream uh, to build a charity that will fundamentally change underprivileged children's lives. Um, there's some very strong driver for that in me in my past to take children and not just give them money per se, but give them skills and life experience and mentorship that have not had that opportunity uh, and be able to make a fundamental change in someone's life. To get there, I still need to put a couple more zeros in the bank account. <laughs> But um, that's my long-term dream. The next three years is, is about making the um, enterprises I'm involved with flourish and navigate, I think, what are going to be very challenging times, at least for 23 and probably 24. Uh, hopefully not, but I do have this curse of being right a lot. Um, and make sure that everything that I do my best to make it sustainable. I think that's the key thing. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the 16-hour days, right? And also, uh, like, having high standards for yourself. What dynamics does that create when you work with other people? Because uh, different people have different priorities or different things. So how do you navigate that? Yeah. I certainly don't expect that on my team. I'm very conscious that 
um, that it is my mental love, right? And so other people might like to go watch a movie or play chess or whatever the case may be. What's important for me is the outcomes. And I try extremely hard to be a player coach um, and be strategic when necessary, when needed or a coach when needed or physically do something in shoulder to shoulder with my colleague where it's needed so they can learn. Um, and I certainly don't clock watch, right? I think you have to be disciplined though, right? The, if you look at the world's best um, sports people and the worst, world's best sports teams, you know, Gary Player mentioned many times, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. And so I think you've got to have that discipline that um, creates the foundation to become more successful than your competitor. Look at the tennis world, for example. It's that tennis player that takes that extra effort, that extra 15 minutes on the court every day uh, that shines over everybody else, right? Because the base level is extremely high. So yeah, um, I'm, I believe I'm very uh, tolerant and authentic and I do try and encourage open, respectful, candid, but open mm -hmm. debate in the, in the teams. Um, I'm sure my family would probably say I'm not balanced enough, but <laughs> we've, we've navigated to that situation for a long time. So it seems to work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that about discipline and practice. I think that is something uh, which I see that often leaders of today can basically miss the point. Uh, and it's not about overworking or working 16-hour days, but, but a very clear uh, discipline and practice is what makes you better. Like right? it's like if you until you pull lift the weights, how will you get stronger? And uh, what I am also listening from you is like it's by choice. So if it's forced, then it creates resistance and makes it difficult. But if it's by choice, then it makes uh, it pleasurable. And if you have that solid ground of values, what you stand for, then it also uh, helps you enjoy the process rather than resent it. Exactly. And so impact is key. For me, the dynamics of, and bearing in mind that I work internationally, right? So the dynamics of um, how I pitch something in the US tonight is fundamentally different to the dynamics of how I was pitching something in Australia this morning. And I just thrive on that and I need that diversity, right? But, you know, other people have got different agendas in their lives. And um, I certainly don't expect to enforce my agenda on the environment. I think the key thing is um, how do we work out as a team to blend each other's strengths and minimize those and minimize our respective uh, areas of development and then cooperate to deliver the best outcome possible? Yeah. I think it's that um, open-mindedness, right, in leading people and working with people that you have to get to, because that's, I think, where the foundation of trust comes from. And yes, there are times when you're going to be misunderstood. Right? You know, one thing, being a leader, it's lonely at times, and you can be fundamentally misunderstood, um, especially in highly complex multinational situations. Mm. A number of times where, for example, I was in leadership positions of, let's say, EMEA for a US-based multinational, and you are, you're in the middle of diametrically opposing ethoses, socialism versus capitalism, uh, religions at times, um, the work ethic, legislation, 40-hour week and no holidays in the other extreme. Um, so 
Yeah, that's difficult, right? Because the expectation of you from stakeholders in one direction is fundamentally different to your stakeholders who are your team, right? Yeah. And somehow you've got to get the balance of that, and it's not easy at all. Uh, and I certainly made some learning learning errors along the way there. You know, I think the key thing is to be honest with yourself and say, okay, with the circumstances and the leaders that I had in my control at the time, what could I have done better? Or what, where did I miss it? Hmm. And there are times where you're going to say, I couldn't have done anything different. Right? But you have to be honest with yourself and say, okay, I probably could have done that a little better. Maybe not push the workers' council in Germany too hard. But, you know, once again, I think this also comes back to your ethos, right? If people sense that you are fair and the deal is not always one-sided, then I think there is a certain amount of natural tolerance given normal human um, um, kindness to, ex, you know, accept those sort of scenarios. Yeah. And what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that you face going forward? I think navigating uh, the ambiguity at the moment is extremely challenging. This morning, literally on Friday last week, I was just looking at a set of financials, dollar ba you know, dollar euro based, and then suddenly this morning, that's changed by eight um, percent, and that changes your entire hypothesis. So now you have to rework the hypothesis, and at some point you would have try and figure out, okay, where is North going to be? Uh, because you can't change the hypothesis every week. And um, yeah, I mean, what's going to happen? Have we seen the effect of, on earnings of all the interest rate increases yet? I don't think so. Um, what are these unnatural sort of trade wars uh, that have been going on in in the globe? What are they portend to that? Uh, is that what's really driving inflation as opposed to excess money supply? Um, and all of these factors that are very difficult to discern right now. So somehow you've got to keep your vision on, let's say, three to five years out, but um, survive the next 24 months um, and hopefully thrive if you make the right decision. And that's an extremely challenging game of chess. Um, I, I started my career in a very deep, uh, recession, and I would like many of us through the 90s and 2001 and 2008 and other other challenges in the market. Um, and I'm racking my brains these days to remember, okay, what happened to the market when the interest rates were here and the dollar pound situation was there and trying to study all the historical uh, charts. And so it gives you some foundation of macro. Um, but I do think right now we're in an unusual confluence of a number of market shaping challenges, whereas perhaps in historical context, certainly 2001, 2008, there was predominantly one driver. Um, so that's interesting. Um, we've got multiple drivers on the go at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, based on how we do work, that is also remarkably different. Uh, because in a way, we are all connected. We are like working across time zones now, much more than like just a couple of years ago. But at the same time, as you said, right, it's very lonely. Everybody is there in their own bubble. And then that creates a whole set of uh, like mental perception, which sometimes limit you. So having gone through like multiple... Also mental stresses, right? I've seen people behave 
certainly what I didn't understand, strange perceptional ways because of the virtual uh, context, right? Um, you yeah. can't get the essence of a person when you have a VC. It's not easy at all. Um, and I think people, certainly through COVID, right, people were generally constrained to their home environment. A lot of single people were literally in their one-bedroom apartment or whatever it was, and the level of human interaction certainly came off hard. And I think that created a lot of dynamics that are very difficult to manage. And, of course, um, the stresses of that environment as well. Yeah. Uh, so with your experience, what advice would you give somebody or a leader or a team who is navigating or who will be navigating the next couple of years, the recession, for the first time, right? It's a new world in a way, uh, but at the same time, there can be lessons which uh, which can be drawn from the past. So what would you tell such a leader who is struggling to deal with all of these uh, complexities? I think you've got to let your team see the human side of you uh, as much as possible. You've got to build tolerance in the team, respect and kindness and support of each other. Um, get the team not to sweat the small stuff and have a bit of fun, right? Try not let the pressure get to that point where people are at that flashpoint. And of course, there's an, an important part that all the individuals have to take head on themselves as well, right? You can foster that environment. Um, I think the other factor, you've got to take those checkpoints, those temperature assessments and checkpoints of the team, the market, Listen relentlessly to what your customers are telling you. Record it um, meticulously and literally weekly, as we do now as a team. Reflect internally, okay, what worked this week? What didn't work? Where did we miss? What did we What did we mess up on? What needs to change? How do we iterate? And just make sure that we are relevant as, as rapid, as regularly rather, as we can without becoming disorganized. Um, and just continuously make sure that you are reading the signals in the right way. Um, and I think you have to be prepared to uh, be quite flexible in your beliefs and say, okay, we've felt quite resolute that this was the direction, but the data is telling us that it's incorrect. What's the elusive alternative? <clears throat> and then start to reformulate things. And if you see something's definitely failing, sail fast and redirect resources into a better researched alternative. But um, there's no magic uh, crystal ball, right? You can take all the data that comes in. You can obviously listen to your colleagues intently, and you can listen to your customers intently. But I think also foster that environment of excitement. Mm. And I watched a movie over the weekend that I hadn't seen for a long time. I saw it many years ago called La Bella Vita. And it's a delightful movie, but it also makes you cry at the end. And um, if you haven't seen it, I'd advise you to. But really, uh, quite an extreme situation where a father makes the extreme situation for his son a game. And I think that's the kind of orientation you kind of need to have in this challenging time, right? Is obviously we're not playing a game in business, right? But just to have that curious excitement of the hope of what's possible and keep on reinforcing that together as a team and support each other through the challenging times and be real and open and authentic with each other um, 
and the rest should take care of itself. Uh, of course, what you're offering to the market may need to change, right? You're going to have to be you know, really close on what your customers, your economic buyers are looking for because their perspectives may change, right? Um, okay. So you can't rely on the historical formula. You've got to keep on testing that formula. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I love that answer because, uh, like, first of all, you spoke about the human connection, and especially in a virtual world, it becomes all the more important. And you emphasized a lot on listening and reading those signals. And I think, uh, like, when we speak to a screen, even though we are facing each other, like, the camera takes away most of the human dynamic. Uh, and then all of these skills, which we call listening or reading or sensing, become suddenly more important than they were earlier in the in a physical, in a real uh, world. So I love that answer. And also being flexible and acknowledging that you don't know. But I loved how you gave the example of a movie. I haven't seen the movie, but what you shared about excitement and tears as well, I think uh, to bring the whole part of your humanity into the workplace, we really come up excited, but at the same time, be open, be flexible. And then if, and, uh, and to give that space for sadness or tears, if that be the case. Wow. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's the human part, right? I wear my heart on my sleeve, I always have. I'm not per perfect. Yeah, like all of us, I make my mistakes. But, you know, I try very hard to be kind and to be constructive, right? And yes, there are times, trust me, I can stand my ground when I need to. But, um, but it's challenging in this world. Um, there's so many pressures on folks. Uh, especially now, I think, two and a half challenging pressurized years of COVID. And now we're coming out into an environment which looks pretty interesting. Um, you, 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 you've got to center yourself as best you can, right? And that doesn't necessarily, doesn't mean that you've got to be weak, right? You can be kind without being weak, right? And you, um, you're going to have to be resolute in, in certain things. Um, and everybody needs to pull their weight, of course, and the outcomes are important, but unfortunately that does require a certain level of impact and commitment. Um, until we have, you know, robots that can do what we do, that'll be the that'll be the case. Absolutely, and I love that last part as well, right? Just like standing your ground is an act of courage. Sometimes asking for help or being flexible is not weak. It's actually an act of courage to be vulnerable and really share uh, that you don't have everything in control as others might want to believe. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that, right? And that's hard as a leader, right? I mean, many times. And it also depends on the environment you're in, right? Um, I've been in both very large companies and startups. I've done two of my own startups. Unfortunately, in many big corporations or let's say historical corporations, showing weakness would have not helped your career for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it depends what context of weakness, of course. But I think that being human is something that we probably haven't focused on enough. Uh, and the other thing not allowing perception to to rule our decision-making set because you know unfortunately there are those members of us that are let's say less than truthful and they will try to manipulate situations and um i don't know if you've ever seen that picture of prince william where it looks like he's showing an offensive sign getting out of a car uh, from one angle and then you look at the picture from the other angle and he's actually waving and it's that context of, you know, be really sure 
that you have the true sense of the situation. Um, and as a leader, you've got to have perspective. You can't meet your your leader for a mirror or APAC uh, three times in 15 to 18 months and expect to have perspective of what's really going on. Uh, and you've got to be able to tune signal from noise, right? Um, you can get a lot of incorrect noise in a community for a whole host of reasons. Um, so one of the key things is for me is about having perspective. You've got to be part of the fabric of the organization and executing and experiencing a different factors with, with, without the value chain to be sure of whether the assessments or the assumptions or the perceptions that you have are actually accurate. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's uh, like before you act, having that sense of clear clarity and also to step into multiple perceptions and really take a decision from a sense of grounding and purpose is uh, is uh, so much required in the world that we live in today. Yeah, and I think we can continue this conversation forever and we'll have to wrap it up. So for anybody who is listening who wants to reach out to you, what is the best way to, to stay in contact or to find out about what you are up to? Samit, um, well, thank you. And to everybody that's listened to me, I hope I added some impact in your life. I, um, the easiest way is probably on LinkedIn. Bear with me. I get a lot of LinkedIn emails, so I may not get back. But one thing I do, I may not get back in the same day. But um, one thing I do do try hard to is answer all incoming correspondence as best I can. It's just something that's been ingrained in me since I was brought up. So um, give me a couple of days, sometimes a week, and I'll do my best to get back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for sharing everything that you shared. And I want to wish you best for everything that lies ahead for you in the next uh, three to five years, as you said, but also like for the charity, I think I could sense a deep sense of meaning in you wanted to contribute something. And I wish you all the best uh, and to make it a reality, to make it a success. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And the best to you too. And thanks very much for the time you spent with me. Wonderful. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.